Welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football National Signing Day, believe it or not. Not much kind of oomph to it anymore, but we do have a couple recruiting things to discuss, including two new commits for Penn State. We'll also be giving you our Penn State draft for, I don't know how we're going to describe the importance of a recruit or for better or worse of that recruit. And we have some a couple fan questions for you as well. So enjoy the show, everybody. Football. I'm Corey Lestoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Very good. Very good. Very, Very good, good football day. Yep. Hmm. I am doing swimmingly, Corey. Hey. How are you? Unlike Penn State basketball, we did show up today. Yeah, that's why I said football day. <laughs> basketball. <laughs> And we were we were bad, but you got to give Purdue a lot of credit too. They weren't they weren't missing, so you know no, no, you have to give not. them credit uh, when they're playing like that. There ain't a lot of teams in the country that could beat them, but still disappointing for for our Nets. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're right. It, it was an exciting day elsewhere, and that's kind of why we're here. Got a couple of things to talk about. Two new recruits and assistant coach or whatever you want to analyst, I guess you call them now. Got a promotion, whatever you want to call that. And um, I think we should start with the first recruit. Because once we talk about the first recruit, we can kind of put that to our back of our mind because we don't have to really think about that guy for, for very much in the future, given that he's a 2025 guy. Sean, would you like to do the honors? Of course. So uh, Jalen Matthews, uh, Jalen, I think it's Jalen, uh, committed to Penn State. Really impressive offer list. He's a top 60 guy uh, in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. Has a Georgia offer, has an Ohio State offer. You know, like I said, really impressive 
film, like when you watch him, he does not look like he's 15 years old. I mean, I can't believe how massive this this young man is. And he just he moves people. He has a natural really an aggressiveness to him that even if you're blessed to have the size he does at 15, you don't that's not that doesn't always come natural to you. Uh, but he has it. He has a he has an impressive mean streak and he's got a great offer sheet. Now, of course, we're going to have to give the disclaimer. 2025 is far away. OK, that disclaimer is out of the way. Um, but if he could stay stuck, if he could stay solid, if he could stick with his commitment to Penn State, this looks like a really, really good player for us uh, in the in the future. This is about the same time that Cooper Cousins committed mm-hmm. last year for the 2024 class. So although it is early, it's not strangely, strangely early. I mean, well, it's strange, but it's not crazy, crazy early. Um, but still pretty early. Um, I guess I'm curious. Well, we'll get to him in a second because there's more to talk about there. No, I, I think Matthews is fantastic. I mean, his size, he, he's actually going to lose weight probably between now and when he signs the Penn State because he's going to lose some of the what they call baby fat and he's going to put on some better weight. But, I mean, to be that big um, at, at, as a sophomore in high school is just unreal. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's – I don't – you know, it's not surefire because it's so far away, but, I mean – it's pretty impressive, right? It, it, it it's it's really impressive for what uh, Phil Trotwine's been able to do, and we'll talk about more about more. Man, I'm on it today. More about him a little bit later in the show, but no, like I said, from the brief amount of stuff I've watched on Jalen Matthews, I mean, he is he's pretty incredible. I mean, he moves pretty good already, and I feel like he's he's got some pretty good strength behind him. So, not amazing, I don't think, in pass protection yet, but plenty of time to to work on that from now until Penn State commits. So, or until he commits to Penn State officially. Um, yeah. And, and um, I also want to just mention about uh, the, um, you know, you have to worry about him wavering on his commitment. I'm kind of happy that he has as many good offers as he has now, because it's not like a Justin Fields situation where, we got in on him early, but then everybody and their brother was after Justin Fields. So that's kind of a plus. Now, does that mean Kirby Smart and Ryan Day are just going to throw their hands up and go, oh, well, I guess we're going to Penn State? No. <laughs> but he knows what he's saying no to. So I think that kind of helps a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And it seems like he has a pretty good relationship I think Phil Trotwine's really good at building these relationships. I think that's what we're starting to learn. And because it it has been the offensive linemen that have, you know, have been committing early compared to other positions and have stuck out with their commitment too. So just something to keep in the back of your mind. I, I don't know what the hit rate is, but I feel like when offensive linemen commit, they're not typically decommitting um, for, the, for the most part under Phil Trotwine. That's true too. Let's talk about the next guy. And this is a guy, if you've been listening to the podcast, we've been talking about this guy for two months now. Yeah, we're in February, so almost three months. Um, But a solid two months. And that is Chimney Ono, which this podcast is named after. Ono was a guy 
credit Rutgers was was kind of first on Rutgers board. Well, I guess we should credit Old Dominion because he was committed to Old Dominion. Um, but really the first Power 5 team that he visited was Rutgers. Rutgers was actually trying to finish that commitment up. Um, he visited Rutgers and, and not, didn't commit to Rutgers, but he, they tried to get him to commit, weren't able to, and then he, he got just swarmed by everybody. Shot up the 24-7 sports rankings. I... Sometimes when it happens, Sean, to me, I'm like, eh, how much is that? Like, he really got that much better in the last four months? Or it was just name recognition and, and who's going after him? I, we, we've had that conversation before and the conspiracy behind it. That one, to me, seems a little bit fishy. He's got a good size. Um, but right now, 24-7 Sports has Chimney Ono as a top 149th prospect. And basically, every, everywhere you read... And we agree. Like he's not a he's not a day one starter. Like he he's going to be a little bit of a project. And so to be a top one fifty guy and not necessarily be able to play over the other three blue chip guys that Penn State has makes me question it a little bit. But regardless, Ono then visited Penn State. He visited Michigan State. He visited Ole Miss. But it seemed like Penn State was ahead pretty much from the get go, and they stayed ahead. Not sure if it was because, you know, being from Baltimore, it's not too far away. Not not sure if it was just the relationship with Phil Troutwine, which I think it was. Um, Michigan State offered some NIL money from what we've heard. Not saying Penn State didn't, but um, who knows exactly there. But it, it seems like there's more to it than just NIL. And Penn State was able to seal the deal. And he's not going to start right away, Sean, but... Huge pickup for Penn State. Just another offensive lineman. Obviously, they picked up Vegaione last time in between the early signing day and the national signing day, and they do the, do that again with Chim Diono in the 2023 class. Yeah, no question about it. Um, this is one of the highest-rated uh, guys. was one of the highest-rated guys remaining, and we were able to seal the deal with him. And, yeah. I mean, he was the definition of a, he was a late riser of late risers. Like typically we describe late risers as somebody who's not getting a lot of attention until after their junior season, going into their season, senior season. He wasn't getting much attention until after his senior season. So he was a late, late riser. And then, like Corey said, he was committed to Old Dominion. Rutgers get up, got in on him. Ole Miss, Penn State, Michigan State. And really from when his name first started surfacing, Penn State was kind was seen as the leader. And Michigan State made a run. Ole Miss made a run. But Penn State was able to close it out with, with, Ono, with Ono. And, I mean, I my feeling on him as a player is similar to Corey's and that he's pretty much a project. But at the same time, most offensive linemen are projects out of high school. It is probably the toughest, that and quarterback, but probably offensive line is more difficult just from a physical aspect to translate to translate from high school over to college. So most guys are projects out of high school. Drew Shelton is very very rare so most guys are not going to be him most guys are going to take two or three years and that's just going to be what ono will be uh he'll be a two or three year guy he's got to work on his technique but you know you have to love what we're getting from his size 
And I mean, 24 seven sports. I mean, they don't just put anybody in the top 150. Like, never mind the top, uh, the, like their big things, the top 20, uh, 247. They put him in the top 150. So that means he's a pretty damn good recruit. So you have to love the way they were able to bring in probably the best offensive line class in the country this year. So I don't think we've ever done such a 180 on a coach in just a year like I have with Phil Troutwine. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go next. And we've talked about that before as far as offensive linemen typically needing a year or two. Like, that's normal. So, yeah, but no knock it. Yeah, I'm not trying to knock him because yeah. he could take two years and still be a stud for two years. Like, that, that's that's a pretty normal thing uh, for an offensive lineman. And he's like a true offensive tackle. Like, I know they're going to try Javen Williams at tackle at first and – and Birchmeyer at, at tackle at first, and even uh, Donka at tackle. But they're pro- most of them are probably going to be moving inside. Um, Isn't Donka at guard? I think he is, but I, I, originally I had heard they are all three were going to start on the outside and work their okay. way in. And I don't know if that's just more from like a technique perspective, but I would be shocked if, honestly, if any of them, I mean, it just depends where depth is, but right now you don't really need them outside with what they have at the moment. But, but anyway, so, so Ono comes in and is going to play tackle and that's, that's fantastic. And you're never going to say no to offensive tackles ever. And so, uh, yeah, the, the, your bigger point too, about the, the class as a whole. And I think 24, seven sports, again, this is officially the highest rated offensive line class in the big 10 this year, better than Ohio States, better than Michigan's, better than Wisconsin's, better than Iowa's. And, I mean, that is the first time probably Penn State's ever done that. I think it's the second best. I saw somebody on Twitter, and I apologize. I don't know who who did it. But somebody put, like, the average 24-7 sports ratings from, like, the previous, like, four years and then, like, the last four years or something like that. And it's gone from, like, a .88 to, like, a .95 or something like that. That, that that's a big difference. That's that's a difference between winning, you know, three ga- or losing three games and 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 winning or losing one game or one and a half game. Like that that's a big difference. So the offensive line recruiting has been tremendous. Just talked about Matthews. We we talked about Birchmeyer and Javen Williams a bunch. Talked about Cooper Cousins, and now you just add another guy to that kind of notch on the belt for for Phil Troutwine. It's it's really incredible, Sean. There was no history of really good offensive line play before Phil Troutwine got here that he could just kind of lean against to and on the recruiting trail. He's kind of had to blaze his own path. I mean, I know Ryan Bates has played a decent amount, a lot, I should say, um, and McGovern's played a lot, and uh, Donovan Smith has played a lot. But it's not like Penn State's churning out offensive tackle talent constantly and and i mean look what they did before last year they they really struggled and yet he's been able to turn that narrative completely around sean i mean it's i just want to know what the pitch is because i am thoroughly impressed that was kind of my question last year well going into the 2022 football season was why are Burkmeyer and javen williams why did why do they want to come here? I didn't really get it. 
And now it should get easier for two reasons. Number one, you saw the production on the football field. Number two, recruiting, momentum in recruiting is a real thing. And when they see, when 2024, 2025 guys like Matthews see, oh, wow, they're really pulling a lot of talented guys in. And then you also look at what they're doing with Old Fashioner, who, if all goes well, uh, has a good chance to be a top 10 pick next year. Yeah, Penn State all of a sudden becomes a very attractive destination. So it's just night and day compared to what it was. Because, um, you know, you go from recruiting guys that are mid, you know, mid to high three-star guys, low four-star guys to five-star guys and high four-star guys. And yeah, it makes makes a world of difference. And people, you know, it, it boggles my mind how people don't think recruiting is important. But I mean, it is. Look at the way Georgia and Bama recruit the offensive line. And there's a reason why, you know, why they're always two of the best offensive lines in the country almost every year. Uh, obviously, recruiting and de- er, recruiting, but also developing. And that's what Phil Troutwine's been doing. He's been he developed a really good offensive line. We get almost everybody back next year. And I I and most of the fan base expects us to build on that. So couldn't be happier with the direction that the offensive line uh, in general is going under Phil Troutwine. It's amazing, right? We had this conversation just probably just under a year ago about Phil Troutwine. And now it's gone from like was it a miss by Franklin to how the heck do they keep Phil Trotwine longer? And yeah, I, there's more to, to come on that a little bit later on in the episode, but I don't know. I'm thoroughly impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm really am. And like you said, it's, it seems like there's no sign of stopping. So, and I, I just, every time Fans, and it's not like fans pointed out before the coaching staff does or anything like that. It's not like we're pointing out things that James Franklin doesn't already know. But they go out and they have consistently filled the gaps when they needed to. Like they went out last year, did a bunch on the offensive line side when they needed to. This past offseason, they went out and, and filled the receiving void when they needed to. They've continued to do the things they've needed. And not even just that. They went out and said, you know, we need to upgrade at the wide receiver coach position. Right now, what we have is not good enough. We need to be even better. And they went and got Marcus Hagan. So, like, it just seems to me like James Franklin is very much on the have to improve, no no standstill, we've got to keep moving, no plateauing mindset. And I don't think you always see that, right? I mean, you can take the extreme examples, and we've talked about Jay Paterno and, and Joe Paterno and all that. But I mean, the other extreme examples, obviously Iowa and what Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz are doing right now. But there's plenty of other examples out there where with good teams that were just okay with maybe 10 wins or just okay with nine wins and, and that being enough. And I just feel like Time and time again, we've seen this coaching staff and specifically James Franklin say, no, that's not going to be enough. So I think a little bit of credit it, um, needs to be pointed out there, Sean. Sure, yeah. Um, 
Franklin, since he's gotten here, has tried to, if he saw a problem, would always try to improve it. Uh, remember the punting situation before Blake Gilligan. We were the first two years of James Franklin, no disrespect to those punters, but it was horrible. I mean, there were shanks every week. And I remember one game that sticks out to me, and I, I don't think we would have won the game if we had a better punter, but it would have been closer is the 2015 Ohio State game. They had one of the best punters in the country, and we had probably one of the worst. And it made a huge difference in field position when you're trying to play a team like Ohio State. Field position is huge. So that's one example. And then just throughout the years, he's been very good at trying to fill holes. And it took the offensive line a long, 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 long time <laughs> to get fixed. But it did. And that's a that's a big credit to him. And that's a big credit to Phil Troutwine. And everybody always knew that taking that step from being a great program, from being like a top 10 program, which I, which I think we probably are right now, into being a, an elite program, that was going to be the biggest leap. That was probably going to be the toughest place to get. You know, we went from being mediocre to being a good program to being a great program. And then we kind of took a little you know, reverse back a little bit. But now we're back up. <laughs> but we're back to where we were in the 2019 area. And gotta raise the roof a little bit as I'm doing a little dance on camera. And that's that was always gonna be the toughest point to get to. And we're getting closer. And that's that's the really exciting thing. And I'm excited. And I don't know. If you have a pulse, I think you'll be excited too. I wish everyone could have seen that dance that's listening on on the podcast. Um yeah, so we'll keep it going there, and and we'll keep discussing recruiting as we move into February. Things start really. I mean, we're already kind of starting to see slowly. The last junior day was this past weekend, so we're slowly starting to see who was kind of just a shotgun spray, and who's actually like really getting targeted by the staff, like who who they really want. So, next couple of weeks or so, we should be able to get a better list moving forward. A, a bit, a bigger, a a smaller, bigger board, if you will. Uh, I did want to mention on the same kind of aspect of what we were just discussing, Penn State retaining former grad assistant Dion Barnes, former defensive end Dion Barnes. He is now the offensive and defensive analyst and analytics coordinator, which I think is all pretty much a baloney title. I think he's pretty much going to do exactly the same he was doing. Um, they just needed a different name for him as you can only be a GA for so many years and Penn State didn't want to get rid of him. Obviously one, you know, can't get rid of John Scott Jr. either, but Dion Barnes is probably going to be a defensive line coach or whatever he wants to be relatively soon. And I guess I, I don't know. I'm not sure what episode or what podcast I heard it on, but the question was like, okay, Dion Barnes probably could have left and became a position coach at a lower school, but Honestly, Penn State's probably paying him more in this role. Um, and I just can't stress how important it is, Sean. I mean, trying to get back in the Philly area, trying to really establish that as a recruiting hotbed that they haven't been able to. Dion Barnes was a coach there. 
Dion Barnes knows that area better than pretty much anybody. So to, to retain him and to continue to build those relationships that were probably torn a little bit three or four years ago, I just I cannot put an emphasis on this. If Penn State wins the national championship, this is one of those low-key moves that people are never going to think about, them, but they probably should. Like th- this, to me, uh, can't for uh, February. I ran, you know, the first February, excuse me, first Wednesday in February. This is a this is a monumental move, in my opinion. Yeah, that's why we're here to tell you. Hey, this is a big thing that people aren't going to talk about, but it's a big thing, and it is. Dion Barnes has been really the key to us getting back into Philadelphia because if we were and and I also want to I'll, I'll mention that later yeah if we want to contend for what we want to contend to you have to recruit the biggest city in your state at a high level and Dion Barnes is from Philly originally coached a little bit in Philly before he came back to Penn State so he does have connections and on, on top of being a successful player at Penn State. So, yeah, it's it's a big move. It's a type of move that probably before the salary pool got bigger wouldn't have happened. And that's why you need a big salary pool if you're going to contend. And because Dion Barnes could have got an analyst job with, I, I don't know, um, Name the name that school. Whoever wants to really get in the Philadelphia area, um, you know, who's recruited Philadelphia pretty well in the past has been Georgia. Georgia could just say, "Oh, this guy, he knows Philly. We'll bring him in," <laughs> and they could just get one or two recruits a year. But that's big for Georgia. So these are the kinds of moves behind the scenes that that are important. And Deion Barnes is seen as somebody who is maybe an heir apparent to John Scott Jr. If John Scott Jr. were to leave and get a get another job, um, yeah, I, I could see Deion Barnes being the defensive line coach here, and I wouldn't have a problem with it. And I think that says a lot about I think that says a lot about his his abilities. And and I agree with you on the GA part. I mean, the other cool thing about Deion Barnes is he's going to be a doctor because of how long he's been a GA at Penn State. But eventually, you stop going to medical school. So, um, yeah, that, that's a joke, by the way. Uh, Speak- but it just feels like he's been a GA forever. <laughs> Speaking of GAs, I saw James Laurinaitis took a GA job at Ohio State. So, I another guy. He was a bit, I always thought he was a bit overhyped. He was at Ohio State for a long time. That's for sure. I thought he was actually really good at on BTN, to be honest with you. He was. I, I like yeah, I liked him a lot as an announcer, but you know, maybe I just compare all great Ohio State linebackers to AJ Hawk because that guy was that guy was a beast. Um, you said you wanted to mention something, and you get back to it later. Do you want to get back to that now? Oh, oh yeah, uh, Jalen Matthews. Another fun thing about Jalen Matthews is he's the first person from Jersey to be committed mm-hmm. to Penn State since Amin Vanover in 2020 or 2019, I think 2020. So that's another important place that we got to get back into because that's, I mean, and we had a great recruiting class last year and we had a, we had a pretty damn good one this year, but if God, it's, it's right. It's literally right in your backyard. You have to recruit Jersey better. And that's a good start to 2025. 
That's a good point. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's just unreal. That's absurd to me. When you when you when I saw that statistic, I was like, wow. I mean, it just doesn't doesn't seem right, but wow. I just know the way to say it. I just the, the talent hasn't been like Rashawn Gary all the time over there or anything right. like that. But yeah, you you gotta find one or two guys in that area at least to keep the relationships going, right? I mean. Yeah. You can you can take a three star that's a, a project if that means you're gonna stay in the door for someone later down the road. So yeah. Um that's a very good point. I any other coaching news? I I saw they picked up another uh or so, somebody in the recruiting realm to another but I, I didn't see who the name was. I can I can look at that for a second if you just want to spiel for a second, Sean. Sure, I'll spiel. Um I did see Separate from Penn State, but within the Penn State family, Billy Fessler is the new offensive coordinator out at Akron. So he might be a name to keep an eye on in the next few years. Billy Fessler, for those who those of you who don't know, uh, was the scout team quarterback on the 2016 and I believe the 2017 season. And then he moved. He, I think he ended up moving to receiver. So oh. he was always a good athlete. So he'll be... Um, the OC out there for uh, Joe Moorhead and Zips. So, again, just a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, have you found that name, Corey? All right. Well, I'm not going to bore you with Dolphins talk, but um, maybe maybe I'll share a fun fact that I found about Miles Sanders. And by I found it, I mean I was staring blankly while I was substitute teaching the one day. I thought, huh, Miles Sanders is the first, he might be the first running back since Franco Harris to start in a Super Bowl from Penn State. So then I went back and I was really thinking and I went through the whole list. And then I texted Corey and Mike and and our, our other friend G Wiz and I was like, Miles Sanders, first running back since Franco to be um, to be in the Super Bowl, right? And we all kind of thought, yeah. So then I, I went a little more ham on the research, and yeah. So that's just a little fun fact, a little tidbit that I want to share with you, speaking of Penn State alums. So, yeah. anybody Does anybody want Dolphins talk? No. No, no, no. <laughs> I can't find it. Yeah, find it. All right, that's no problem. Um, here we go. Found it. it took me oh, long enough. Um, they brought in Khalil Ahmed, personnel and recruiting for Penn State football, was at Syracuse for he was a Syracuse football director of high school relations. So they brought him in. Awesome just took me like 30 minutes to find but i mean again just building to that pool i have no idea what that necessarily means as for, like what he's going to really do at penn state but i'm sure it can't hurt so um just more and more resources for for james franklin and company and you know the syracuse area um not like extremely potent with talent but an area that when their guy shows up every once in a while you have to go get and whether that's New York, whether that's Pennsylvania, whether that's North 
northern Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania, even. You got to go. Live. Yeah. Unfortunately, we know. Unfortunately. No, no I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but no, you got you got to go. You got to go take care of business. And it just seems like the more people you get in that room, the better it is. Um, yeah. What you got, Sean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just you you never have enough people. And like I pointed out during the Georgia Ohio State game, it was no mistake that like Kirby Smart isn't like Superman being able to see from the sidelines like, oh, they're going to run a fake punt here. Now, Kirby's going to get all the credit, but I guarantee But there was somebody up in the box and it might not even been a position coach or a coordinator who pointed out, hey, they're running a fake here. And it's because, you know, some GA or some analyst went through hundreds or, or thousands of hours of film and they point they probably pointed this out to a coach and then the coach goes oh we got to watch out for this so that's probably how that whole thing went down it's got to be the same thing at penn state like if we want to compete with these teams to win a national championship to make the playoffs uh and do everything and fulfill all of penn state fans wildest dreams like then we have to we have to have a staff like that so uh it looks and it looks like uh you know it's not and i think james franklin he's never been the problem he's always known this but it was always the people above him that either didn't know or just for whatever reason refused to give him the resources that he needed so uh i think it's a sign that penn state is under under uh pat craft understands understands that more yeah, yeah, Pat Kraft. I mean, now you saw him at the wrestling meet, jumping up and down like a Penn yep. State dad. I mean, he he's he's all aboard, which is cool to see. Uh, there's no question about that. And I think that was it. Well, it was about Shrewsbury, but basically, I think Kraft already said like we're we're not going to let someone outbid us for him. I think is what kind of was said. Um, mm, I might have to see about that. Yeah. But it it just you know makes you think like yeah. he has that way about Shrewsbury. He's probably that way about Penn State as well. So yep. Um, Sean, let's go into recruiting transfer portal stuff. I just want to say it's February first. Portal is technically closed unless you're a grad transfer and or you're already in the portal. No talk or no signs, no whispering of a running back, no whispering of a defensive tackle no whispering of a quarterback from what i've not gathered um have you heard anything or is there anything out there you i mean i just think and we're not going to get anything now until the spring like just how it is yeah i haven't heard anything else um honestly Corey, i don't know how many more guys we're going to have from the portal in general i think there's i think we'll probably add another person but the over-under is probably at one and a half, and I'd probably go under. I'd probably go with one, um, which, I mean, well, I mean, maybe two, because I do think we had a defensive tackle for sure, and maybe a running back. Uh, the, the guy from Purdue, uh, his first name is King. Uh, what's his last name? Doru? Yeah, Doru. I, I, I would love to get a guy like him. Like I think he's exactly who we needed, who who we need. Um, 
honestly, and who knows? I, I don't know what happened to him, but Devin Ford, buddy, come back home. <laughs> I mean, I would love to have Devin Ford back because I think he's kind of what what we need. Kevon Lee wants to start somewhere, which I get, but Devin Ford, I think he could be such a good complement to the to these two backs because he does a little bit of what both of them do. Now he's not as explosive as Singleton. He's not as strong as Allen, but he 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 had, he does have some oomph to him in terms of, you know, he could lay down the wood a, a bit, and he and he has some speed. I mean, I would love to be able to get him back, but I don't know what happened there. <laughs> so uh, I think we had a defensive tackle, but I don't know about a running back and quarterback. I just think that's too tough of a sell, honestly. But I would I would like to get a guy like Michigan went and got, uh, they got Jack Tuttle. I, I wouldn't mind getting a guy like Jack Tuttle. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, yeah, recruiting-wise, I mean, a bunch of guys came the last three weeks. I wanted to mention Kenneth Wosley because he's got a lot of steam lately. Uh, cornerback from Pennsylvania in the 2024 class. I think Penn State has him if they want him. I don't know if Penn State is open to receiving his commitment yet verbally. I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up in this class, but just someone to keep an eye on as we head into February. That That's one name that stuck out to me, Sean. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he'll end up here. Um, another guy that I wanted to mention that we really hadn't mentioned before is uh, Ben Roebuck. He's from Ohio. He's seen as a Michigan lean right now. He's an offensive tackle prospect. Uh, 6'7", 320. Apparently, he had a really good junior, like junior day really impressed him at Penn State. So, according to the Lions 24-7 pod. So, keep an eye on him. Like I said, right now he's seen as a Michigan lean. But I would love to get him on board. He's a three-star guy right now. It's just going to be interesting to see, like, coming out of these junior days, who are the guys they really want to target? Who are the guys that are really their focus moving forward? Because there are just so many names being tossed around right now. Uh, we know guys like Quentin Martin are at the top of that list. Um, Van Buren, yep. the, the quarterback, was just here, and he had a good time. But it's like hard to differentiate between like the the guys are just trying to throw something you know against the wall and see if it sticks, or guys are like, no, we really need to get this guy, or guys that they don't necessarily want to even give a spot unless they have to lay way later in the cycle. So it's just kind of at that kind of weird tango part of the recruiting cycle for the 2024 class before like spring hits and then. I think it was on the 27-4 podcast they mentioned like some of these guys won't come back until June or July. Like, and if at all. And so a lot can happen between now and then. It's officially a dead period now, too. So they can kind of get their ducks in a row and figure out how they want to attack this 2024 cycle moving forward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it must be like, I sometimes imagine how these juniors um, in high school must be, like all these big programs coming around them they must be it must be so overwhelming uh and then you add nil into it and that's just another element and you're thinking about money at the age of 16 and i mean whew, the 
that's that's a lot on your plate. I did want to mention, and I know we go one class at a time, but I mean, let, let's let's be honest. When we see something like this, we really want to. I don't know. It piques your interest a little bit. Uh, we had the number one quarterback in the country for the class of 2025 on campus, and he seemed really impressed with Penn State. Um, as I blank on his name. Give me a second. Well, you get his name up. I just say 40 minutes ago, Cole Sullivan, 2024 athlete from Central Catholic, just got an offer. So same school as uh, Anthony Specka got an offer just now 40 minutes ago. So, I mean, I, he's got an offer of Virginia Tech, too, and, and West Virginia, I think, um, as well as Notre Dame. But it seems like, I mean – Penn State's offering and your teammates going there. Obviously, Notre Dame's going to be in a mix being a Central Catholic, but that just happened. No, no, they, they, they're not going to be in the mix. They, they don't. They, they only recruit people who are brain surgeons, Corey. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bryce Underwood is the name that I was thinking of. So he was really impressed with Penn State. He visited with his parents. Uh, again, twenty twenty five guy. That's a long way off, but. It is pretty tantalizing to think about. And he's a guy that's probably going to be watching Drew Aller pretty closely this season. Yep, yep. Well, Sean, do you have anything else you want to discuss recruiting-wise? I know it's a little bit less than we usually have, but I think people will survive. No, no, I think we actually covered a decent amount for, um, you know, it being a dead period now, so. Well, uh, I'm not even going to do a fan question segment. So we only got one this week, which I know we've been tweeting a lot lately and we're just getting so popular, but we did tweet out. I should have posted it. Maybe, maybe I just need to post a tweet sooner so people can see it more often. I only posted it five hours ago. Um, anyway, we only got one question and then we'll ask each other a question, but we'll start with his. And I believe it came from, yeah, Dorito Bandit. The biggest improvement last year was the emergence of the offensive line, and Corey called it. I just want to read that part. Uh, so, what's <laughs> your prediction for the position group that will improve the most in 2023? Sean, I have two, so I'm going to let you go first because I think you're going to take one, but I'll feel okay taking the other one. No pressure. <laughs> I am tempted to say quarterback, but I don't know mean... that for sure. That would just be hot take uh <laughs> hot take guy but i i don't know enough i i can't say that yet when i've barely seen the guy play that's going to be the quarterback so i'm not going to go there although i i kind of hope i kind of hope that's it no disrespect to cliff but if we could get an elite quarterback that would be awesome i'm gonna go with linebackers um this might be what Corey thought i'd say and just second year of abdul carter that that's scary to think about Curtis Jacobs maybe he could clean a few things up I still think he could be a more consistent player I think he made the right decision coming back to school although I thought he had a really good year uh, there were still times that I thought he could have been better and still games that I thought he could have been better including and Corey and I kind of talked about this including the Rose Bowl I thought he played pretty good in the Rose Bowl but he definitely could have played better he missed a few tackles and the middle linebackers, uh, middle linebackers, we've beaten this to death. They have to be better. And I think they will be better. 
having year one under their belt, I'm hoping one of them emerges a starter as the clear-cut starter because really I think last year it was kind of like when you have a court when you have two quarterbacks and the old expression although I think it's kind of a flawed expression but sometimes it's true if you have two quarterbacks you you don't have a quarterback last year we had two middle linebackers because we really didn't have a middle linebacker so I'm really hoping one of them takes the next step forward and I think they will so I not to mention guys like Keon Wiley coming um boy I think is going to play more this year and the true freshmen that are coming into. Yep, that was one of my uh, my two that I was thinking of. I was not thinking quarterback, but <laughs> improve the most is what kind of did not make me go down that road. I like the linebacker one. I think the linebackers, Abdul Carter, I think Curtis Jacobs could honestly improve himself. I don't think Curtis Jacobs had uh, – an amazing year. I think he could really show us even more next year. I think Carter's going to take another step with a full year in a weight room. And then, yeah, like you said, all those other good things about the linebacker spot. So I agree with you 100%. My other one is wide receiver. I just think Marcus Higgins has a track record of getting a lot out of guys. I know down at the senior bowl right now, I don't know who the, who the receiver is, what his name is, but he's from Virginia and he's doing really well down there. He's kind of impressing a lot of people down there. Um, and that's a Marcus Hagan's guy. And I just think he is going to continue to do that. He's got more at his disposal now. He's got m- overall a better talent pool to to produce. I think they take that next step. I think there's a reason they do it. And honestly, something about, you know, whether it's running a podcast with a friend or coaching with a friend, something about being back with your boy and he's back with Poindexter, I think that really – I think that helps him, especially again after what he and his family went through not even a year ago. So I, I'm going to say receivers, and then I, I didn't even mention the additions, right? I mean, Dante Cephas, immediate impact. Keandre Lambert Smith really took the next step the last two games of the season, and then um, McLean as well. So, I mean, th- they're. They're looking prime f- for the next step. Amari Evans, I think, could take another nice, nice step as well. Trey Wallace could take a nice step as well. Um, and we haven't even talked about Caden Saunders. So I, I'm going to go with wide receivers. I, I don't think they need to be excellent. But I will say this. Even if Drew Aller is just a little bit better than Sean Clifford, you could see their production increase as well. So we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. But um, – I don't think you need the wide receivers to step up as much as I think you need the linebackers to step up. I think you have the great running backs. You have a good quarterback. You have a good offensive line and you have a good tight end pool. You can survive against probably 80% of your opponents. If your wide receiver core doesn't get much better. I don't know if you can survive if your linebackers don't improve um, from last year. So like that Illinois game to me is a really scary game. If we're still questioning the linebacking core at that point in the season just to look way ahead. Oh, for sure. The linebackers have to be good against Illinois. That's really going to be their test. And, um, you know, they'll be tested against West Virginia too, but I just think Illinois style of play, like that's going to be, they're kind of the worst version of the, the less, I shouldn't say worse, the lesser version of Michigan. And if you're not ready for them, they're going to pop you in the mouth too. 
So you got you to be ready for that. The, and the thing with the receivers, I mean, I hope they're better than this year. But, I mean, going into it, I don't think I'd put any of these receivers. Now, going into this year, I don't know. And next year could be different. I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd put any of these receivers above Parker Washington or Mitchell Tinsley. Now, you're projecting that two, maybe three of them will be better. And if that's the case, then, yeah, I think there could there could be a big improve. I think there could be an, a significant improvement because looking at Tinsley and Washington, I like both those guys, but neither one of them were Jahan Dotson. Neither one of them were, hell, even K.J. Hamler in my, in my mind. So it's possible they could pass them out, but one or two of them will have, or I should say two or three of them will have to do it. Yeah, you can sum that up pretty quickly by saying the expectations for this wide receiver core is lower than last year's, but last year's didn't meet their expectations, so they could still do That's better. Fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thanks for the question, Dorito. Um, sh- I'll ask my question first, and it's kind of along the same lines. Like I was inspired by Dorito. We talked a lot about Phil Trotwine and how that needed to be turned around. I think we probably talked about it in March. And that was our biggest question. Like, who's on the hot seat? Well, Sean, I'm not going to ask you who's on the hot seat, but I'm asking you who's going to make that 180, who's going to make that this time next year. Like, wow, like we were worried about this guy, and he has completely got things figured out. Or maybe, he's, yeah, he's good, but next January, like, we can't lose him. Hmm. Hmm. You know, like, this is a pretty strong coaching staff. And I'm not one to just say that willy-nilly. Like, if I think a guy should be canned, I'm going to say he should be canned. If I say a guy's on the hot seat, if I think a guy's on the hot seat, I'll say he's on the hot seat. I really don't think anybody's on the hot seat right now. But maybe a guy that I think could be better is John Scott Jr. And I'm not calling for John Scott Jr. to be fired. I'm not calling for him to even be on the hot seat. But I think there are times, I I think he could recruit a tad better. He's recruited pretty well, but I think he could recruit a tad better. And I would like to see more development from the uh, interior, the defensive line. But that's pretty much it and like i said i'm not even i i like john scott jr uh but i think maybe he could step his game up a bit yeah again the question isn't who is going to be on the hot side but the hot spot the hot spot or the hot seat right now yes (laughs) um you know it's just gonna be who maybe takes that next step to, to and i think i i was gonna say john scott jr too i think he's got a pretty I think he's got a pretty big year coming up. And, and again, this is not saying he's on the hot seat. This is with who he has returning. I know defensive tackle is a question mark to a certain degree, although people say it's a question mark, like they don't have anybody there. Like they have guys there with a lot of experience, like a lot of experience, like um, three, four, almost five guys have a decent amount of playing time at the defensive tackle spot. So acting like it's just a bunch of unknowns is, is kind of silly to me. But the defensive end spot, I mean, j- could make John Scott Jr. a lot of money. 
with is with Izzard with with Adisa Isaac and with Chop Robinson. I mean, those two guys alone could could get you at least 10 sacks on a season, if not 15, 20. They're just that good. And we talked about Adisa Isaac and how he wasn't really healthy that much last year. He's going to have a full year in a weight room, getting past 100% health. I'm very excited for them. I just think it's some, it's a, I agree with you, Sean. I think the recruiting isn't like up to the Penn State levels. It usually is in the defensive line. But I really think going into the year, people are like, okay, like, yeah, we like him, but whatever. And then I, it could be the end of the year, like, John Scott Jr. is the dude, right? So, yeah, I, I'm not trying to phrase that question like it's a, it's a hot seat question. I'm more like, okay, we're pretty content with everybody right now, but who at the end of the year is like, people are going to try to poach that guy. And I think that could be John Scott Jr. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, defensive end is in – modern day football the second most important position and if he could develop you know deny Dennis I think he has the measurables to be a first round pick if he could develop him into that uh with a guy like Chop Robinson I mean yeah that then he becomes a very hot commodity and we're gonna have to try like hell to keep him and that that that's pretty cool at the same time, if those guys don't pan out, yeah, he's gonna he's he's gonna catch hell for that. So, um, yeah, I I I would say John Scott Jr. You ready for your question? Just want to make sure, Sean. So, defensive tackle, they still have Ellie's. They still have Izzard. They Izzard. still have Durant. They still have Vandenberg. Yeah, and forgetting anyone off the top of my head. I mean, I mean, there's there's depth there. Well, um, Townley. Yeah, Davon Townley's moving in. Moving inside. Mobile left. Yeah, I mean, really, from this year, we only really Bl- lost. Landing Must- will be in there next yes. year. Yeah, we really only lost Mustafer. Now, that that's like, I mean. Only, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Other than that, Miss Lincoln, how, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? I mean, you know, it. Yeah, your most important guy, you're losing. But I mean, it's. Um, but it is only one. That's a good person. one. I've never heard that before. I never heard that one. I heard it once. Uh, I never got to use it. <laughs> there you go. I'm glad you had that in the holster, ready to fire. <laughs> What's your yeah. question, John? <laughs> All right. Um. Straight up, do you consider Penn State to be a blue blood program? Yeah, I thought I saw this on Twitter today too. It's that time of year where people I start was inspired re- by Twitter. Yes, people start recycling stupid. You know what else that pisses me off is like there's um, what's his name? Acho. Him, Emmanuel and, Acho. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, who's the who's the SEC? Paul, Mike. Paul yeah, fine bomb. Yeah. They're tweeting out stupidest things like just to get like interaction. Like I, I gave fine bomb interaction. Did he has something like what is your favorite record or something today or what he has something like that. It was like <laughs> it's silly remember? season. What what did what did he say? Did you it was I didn't see that one. I saw okay. the one yesterday and I thought it was I I thought it was interesting which coach has made your football program the most miserable i said boy car 
Yeah, yeah. See, that's okay. But like he asked a question today that wasn't even like close about football. Yeah. And and Ocho did the same thing. And I'm just like, I that's so dumb. Like <laughs> I understand if you're an account that is looking for oh so Fine Bomb said, What is your dream concert? Like Yeah, that that's nothing to do with football. It's so weird. So anyway, like if you're uh if you're like us, right? Like if we tweeted that out trying to get some extra interaction, that's one thing, right? But dude, you have like you're a millionaire. Like you have your own radio show. You have your own TV show. Like you don't need to be tweeting out what is your dream concert just to get some more interaction. I don't know. That that rubbed me the wrong Save way. Save the silly discussions for us, Paul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I just thought it was kind of funny. Also, shout out to Ben Jones for giving us some love on. Yes, well, you. we can talk about that in a second, actually. But anyway, to your question, the blue blood thing. Um, I don't really know what the like criteria is for a blue blood and i don't i don't really know like what if there is a hard line right but mm-hmm. i think i'm gonna say no and mm-hmm. i i don't again i don't really know like if you have to have so many national championships but penn state only has two penn state wasn't even in a conference and i know like they've they had some really good years you know in the 60s, they had some really good years in the 70s, some obviously two good years in the 80s. So, like, I know they've always been around, but A, they really disappeared in the 2000s. And B, I just don't know. I, I, I don't know what the criteria is, but I think if you ask other people, they would say no. So I guess I'm going to say no. I would say no, too. Uh Partly due to the national championships, and I know I, I feel like I you could, have to I, have like four national championships in like the 1920s to be considered blue blood or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like national championships consistency. Uh, you know, in my mind, you can't go through like 20 year lulls. So, like, I don't even consider Michigan a blue blood. Like, they didn't do anything from 02 to 2000, and they won one national championship in like 100 years. I don't consider that a blue blood. Now they have the most wins in a Big Ten that, for most of its existence, was them and one other team. But I mean, that's really their only claim to be a blue blood. So I have a very high criteria. I could name my blue bloods: USC, Oklahoma, Alabama, and that's about it. But that's just me. Wow. You're very I am a snob. You're very <laughs> like snobby. people go Texas. No, they're not. They went through a bunch of years before Mac Brown where they didn't do anything. They haven't done anything since Mac Brown left. They're not a blue blood. They just have a cool uniform and a cool logo. Yeah. I mean, I don't consider Texas a blue blood. I, I don't think even I would have a skinny, blue blood. I think I have a skinnier list than the most. But oh, Ohio State's blue blood too. I'm sorry, I forgot them. I don't think I would go as skinny as you, but I'd be skinnier. Um, but but maybe not that skinny. But I'd have to really think about it and and go through the data. I I would want to do an analytic look at things before I do that. Because yeah, I mean you can't just look at one thing, right? I mean another thing that maybe hurts Penn State too is only one Heisman winner. Which I, I does that really play yeah. that much into my role? I don't no. Care well, maybe not anymore, but I feel like back in the day, you could argue Heisman meant, meant something a little bit more, but I don't know. I'm maybe. just saying some people do account that, right? Like, not saying you have to have, like, not saying the person, the team that has the most Heismans is therefore a blue blood, 
but it doesn't help Penn State that they only have one, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the Heisman has always been a little iffy for different reasons. Like Jim Jim Brown didn't win the Heisman. They gave it to Paul Horning, whose team lost like four games. Now, there are other reasons Paul Horning won it over um, over Jim Brown. I mean, I, I don't think we have to get into it, but it's pretty obvious. And so it's always been something with the Heisman. Happy Black History Month, everybody. Yes. I mean, obviously. Um, so there, there, there's always been corruption with the Heisman. So I don't really hold that against us. But we just didn't win enough national championships. And in the last 20, 25 years, we've only averaged a little above eight eight wins a year. So, I mean... I just don't think that's I don't think that's enough. We haven't won a national championship since 1986. Even if you want to say we we should have won in 94. Okay, that's one in 30 years. I just don't think that's enough. Yeah. We can end the fan questions there. But Yeah, I I think yeah, we we can have that conversation at a later date too. I also think maybe we should do a uh Maybe we can do a little episode next week, a little segment including talking about, you know, the origins of the We Are Penn State and all that good stuff. Just a little nod to Black History Month. I think it's a yeah, cool, cool story, and not everybody knows about that. So maybe we throw that in there. I'll just kind of thought of that right now. So, um, anywho, yeah. I guess we're ready for our draft. You got anything? Oh, I did have other things I want to say. Mitch Tinsley, PJ Mustaver. Doing well down there um, in the Shrine, uh, the Senior Bowl, not Shrine Bowl. Um, good things out of practice from both of them. Yep. Don't know how much you want to buy into it, but apparently Bill Belichick's been loving all over PJ Mustafer. Take that for what you will. Mitch Tinsley really practiced well. Um, Sean Clifford went back to the Rose Bowl, had a nice pass. Didn't hear much else from him. Someone said something about them being impressed with his pre-snap stuff, but I, I couldn't find any if I tried. Maybe I just dreamed about it. I don't know. Um, but that that's the latest on the front there. Miles Sanders going to the Super Bowl. Good point on 24-7 sports. Uh, Zach, Zach McPherson, former Penn State player, transferred to Texas Tech. He's also on the Eagles as a special teamer. He's in a Super Bowl too. So not going to take credit like Ohio State fans will of Joe Burrow. And Alabama fans of Jalen Hurts, but <laughs> I just thought so McPherson came down to Nittanyville quite a bit, and he was actually really fun to uh, hang out with. So thought I'd give him a little bit of love there. Yeah, he was with Deshaun when I yelled his name, and we met at McDonald's that one night. <laughs> Zach McPherson was there too. I forgot to mention that. That's um, that, that's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, the PJ Mustafer thing was really cool. Him working with Belichick. I mean, even if the Patriots don't draft him, I mean that's going to be something he remembers for the rest of his life. So just being, and I guess he was really coached by he was coached up by him and talked and talked with them for a real long time. So that's just one of those things you'll always remember. So I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Well. Sean, if you don't have anything else, we can go into our draft. Let's do it up. I really don't know how it's going to go tonight. Don't I don't know about you, but I, I did not really know how. I had no navigation, no map for how this. So I really think like I oh, have. Same. So I wrote down 10 names here because obviously only 10 guys can get picked. 
So I've got 10 guys here. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, I could literally have 10 different people here than Sean has. Like, I have no idea. Like, we had put no criteria for this. So, like, I have no idea where this is going to end up going. Yeah, I don't I don't know either. I mean, it's just I was just kind of like, all right, these are the guys. <laughs> um so by the way, Paul Horning went two and eight the year he won the Heisman. Wow. Just Jesus. Uh I'm getting my coin toss up. Uh I guess you call it in the air since you won it last time. All right. Uh ready? Heads. Hey, it was tails. Ah, you go first this time. Yeah, one time I'm not sure if I even want to go first. It was a tough one. Okay, so I won the coin toss, so I'll go first. Again, we are drafting impactful Penn State recruits for better or worse in any shape, criteria, form you want. So there's really no rules here at all. Um, But with my number one pick, and I think this is the right number one pick, but I really don't know. Um, I don't know if there is a right or wrong here, but I'm going to go Derek Williams as my first pick. And it's not just from like an athletic standpoint or a skill standpoint or even like the overall rating. Like he was one of the top guys Penn State's ever gotten. And he's part of the 05 class. But it was kind of what, he meant right and there's another guy that potentially might get drafted along with Derek Williams tonight but coming out of the dark years people thought maybe Joe Paterno couldn't get the recruiting done anymore 04 team especially didn't have much threat on the outside struggled to run the ball because people were stacking the box and they go out and they get Derek Williams, who's a speedster, Swiss Army knife, can kind of do everything. Kind of pulled Penn State into a new generation, just in, to a certain degree. And it wasn't just him. Uh, a lot of that kind of helped with Michael Robinson, too, and this other person that might get drafted. But I, but I really think Derek Williams was, A, the... Penn State coming into the 2000s to a certain degree. And and I want to be careful about how I walk around that because that's not like entirely true. But he was the glimmer of hope. He was the light at the end of the tunnel for Penn State to a certain degree. And although it didn't 100% live up to expectations, I mean, you could really argue things really didn't live up to expectations when it was all said and done. It still, I think, gave Penn State fans enough hope to get through all of that. And so... Derek Williams, number one for me. I was going to have something else to add to that, but it, it kind of went away. But, I mean, receiver, special teamist, did it all. And big impact. I mean, I, I think it showed that the the Paterno staff were going to be able to recruit moving into this new generation. Now, I, I think things have changed a lot since the 05 class, but – it did show that, hey, Joe Paterno is still able to recruit, maybe not at a high level, but at a pretty good level. I mean, Williams and this other guy ended up being pretty solid. So I got Derek Williams going number one. I love how I know exactly who you mean by that other guy, but I don't think a lot of people know, except maybe some of the, you know, the definitely none of the younger people. But I know exactly who you mean. 
and I, I may nab him tonight. Who knows? But I don't think he'd go around with Derek Williams because at the time, he was just, I mean, he, he was the number one recruit in the country. I mean, the guy was the guy. And we were competing with everybody to get him. And, you know, it was looking like he was going to go to Florida. And then he announces he's gone to Penn State. And it was it was awesome. It was it really transitioned us away. That was the first thing that transitioned us away from the dark years. So I don't think he'd go around with that one. I'm going to go a little before his time. And I'm going to go with LeVar Arrington. So LeVar Arrington was before the 24-7 era, before even the Rivals era, but he was considered to be the number one recruit in the country out of high school. He was as good of a high school running back as he was a high school linebacker, and he was just, I mean, if he was around today, he was he was bigger than Michael Parsons out of high school. He was the top guy. He was the guy that Penn State needed to get, and Joe, in his day, was a great recruiter. Now, toward the end, toward the end, I mean, he didn't want to leave State College anymore. But even in the late '90s, he was still getting it done. He was still bringing in these big name guys. Got Lavar to campus, and I mean, there was there may not have been a more charismatic person to ever play at Penn State as Lavar Arrington, and just the way that he, his confidence and just his love of the program is infectious. I mean, I remember when I went to the blue white game. It's one of my one of my earliest Penn State memories. My dad brought me the blue white game in 99. And somehow I got right to the front and I got to meet LeVar. And I just, you know, it's one of those things like you don't remember exactly what he said to you, but you remember how he made you feel. And he just like he he was just bigger than life and he still is and i just i love the guy he helped me fall in love with penn state football and i think i could say that or i think i could speak for a lot of fans when i say that that's my cats here i saw i saw a blur um yeah see this is what i'm saying i think we're gonna have really different lists when it's all said and i agree with your pick i think it's a really solid pick but i'm gonna be honest i don't even have lavar arrington on my list i mean not that it wasn't a great pick or not that he wasn't an amazing guy. I just think I, I think we could be on two different waveforms here. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, my next pick, I, I thought you were going to take a couple other people, but now I I'm I'm, might be reaching here a little bit. Um, <laughs> but with my next pick, I'm going to take Christian Hackenberg. And... Again, it's not really for his on-field performance, although he had a really good freshman year. It's really more about what he did before he even got on campus. And again, it's about impacts. If Christian Hackenberg and another guy that might or may not end up on a list, if they don't keep that recruiting class together, the 2013 recruiting class together, after all the stuff with the Sandusky scandal, who knows where Penn State is? I mean, it was very easy to shit on Penn State in 2012 to 2013. Very easy. And I'm just always, you know, the what if scenario of if that entire class disbanded. Now, there were some guys that did decide to decommit, but a, a huge core of them did. 
um, stick stick it out. And that was kind of in part because of what Hackenberg did. Now, was it all for selfless reasons? No, like he wanted to be coached by Bill O'Brien. He wanted to go to the NFL, et cetera. But he still probably could have gone somewhere else. I mean, this is the top quarterback in the country at the time. And keeping that class together, even though that class didn't end up being anything crazy special, um, although one or two of those guys were part of the 2016 team, I think it made it okay to want to go to Penn State still, if that makes sense. And it made it still cool to kind of want to go to Penn State. So a lot of people didn't want anything to do with Penn State. And Christian Hackenberg came in and made it made it okay. And that's a credit to Bill O'Brien. It's a credit to a lot of other people. But I just think the impact that he had by saying, you know what, I'm the top dog and I'm going to confirm my commitment. I'm going to carry it out. It was one of the first, like, good news things that Penn State had had for a long time. And at that point, you're reaching for anything, right? You're 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 just trying to find something to hold on to. And Christian Hackenberg kind of provided that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I <clears throat> I had Hack High on my list, so I I think we're in alignment on that. Um, yeah, it was more of the impact from recruiting than on the field because at the time I mean there were people saying Penn State was gonna go back to the stone age and Penn State was done Penn State's not gonna be good again Penn State's not gonna go above 500 again Penn State's gonna be so bad they're not gonna be in the Big Ten again I mean that there were a lot of in my mind and I kind of thought at the time like all right it's a bit of an exaggeration maybe but I mean, that's just where the program was at the time, because I think it was totally unreasonable that all those things could weren't that that those things could come true. No, I mean, we were in we were in tough shape, and then you had him, you had Hackenberg commit, and he stayed committed, and I mean, I think it just said a lot about him, and it said a lot about Bill O'Brien. And getting him, and I'm not the biggest Bill O'Brien guy, guy in the world, but being able to go out and get the number one quarterback in the country and getting him to stay committed to you through all that, that's a heck of a job. So I totally get where you're going with that one. Uh, my my next pick, <laughs> and Corey and I kind of teased this one a little bit, and... Like I said, maybe if you're a little older, you'll remember this and remember the impact. I'm going to go with Terry Smith's stepson, Justin King. And Justin King, he was out of Gateway in uh, in high school, and he was part of Derek Williams's. Uh, he was part of his class. And now he committed a little bit before Derek Williams committed. And it was a, it was a very similar thing. He had all the big names coming after him, and he chose to roll the dice with Penn State. Now, did Terry Smith probably help in that decision? Yeah, I mean Terry Smith was was a Penn State great, and you know who knew a few years later he'd be coaching at Penn State. He was his Terry Smith was also his high school coach at the time, and he picked Penn State over the Michigans, the Ohio States of the world. And it was a dark time. Again, another dark time where Penn State was for different reasons. But Joe, that was, uh, if Joe was ever on the ropes for his job, 
uh, going into all five, he was like where they might really force him into a retirement. And um, yeah, so getting him getting him to sign with Penn State. And then when you had like his freshman year, he played both ways. He actually mostly played receiver his freshman year. And he was unbelievable. Like his speed was next level. We just, we were, and not to mention like 03 and 04, those receivers were, I mean, they were horrible. I mean, there, there's no other way to put it. The receiver, the receiving core after Brian Johnson left and really after Tony Johnson left, I mean, there was nothing there. And getting him, getting Dion Butler, who was also, who was redshirted in all four, getting Derek Williams and, and Jordan Norwood, it was just night and day. And Justin King was there. He was committed before Derek Williams. And then he had a very solid career as a corner. So I've, I'm going to go with Justin King as my second pick. Yeah, I had him. I actually had him higher than I had Hackenberg, but since I got Williams, I wasn't sure that I was going to get – I want to make sure I got one half right. of that at least. Um, I think now this is gets it gets even more interesting from here. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't take him at this point. And so I'm going to go ahead and take Micah Parsons. Dang, that was my next pick. Yeah. I wanted to be clear here, as much as Micah Parsons has become a huge Penn State fan and advocate of Penn State, he's just at the wrestling meet. From my understanding, he it was dog's name's Brutus. And if it yes. wasn't for the recruiting violation by Ohio State by having him on college game day and or whatever he did, and so they couldn't recruit Micah Parsons anymore, Micah Parsons probably goes to Ohio State. And it's kind of a, it always rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, right? Like it was kind of like, yeah, we got him, but it wasn't necessarily because he wanted to come to Penn State more than he wanted to go to Ohio State. But at the end of the day, they did get him. And the impact was, was tremendous. I think the impact could have been even more, but unfortunately we didn't, we didn't get to see that additional season. But he made an impact while he was here. The Memphis game probably be the one we won't forget as far as his performance goes. But I just think, again, another guy who's, yeah, he did a lot of great things on the field. Don't think we ever saw his full potential. But what he's done for Penn State since arriving in 2018 until now, I mean, he's really, again, kind of made it cool to go to Penn State. I mean, I'll... I cannot remember the recruit currently. Uh, Walker, I believe it is. Is it Javante Javante Walker? I think he um like really likes Micah Parsons. Twenty twenty four guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, really likes Micah Parsons, and a lot of guys emulate. And Parsons has been a fantastic recruiter. He's just he's gone all in since he's come to Penn State. So I respect him for that. And again, one of the highest recruits of all time in Penn State history, stud and an in-state guy on top of that, too. So uh, I, I feel like you don't have to explain that one very much. But Michael Parsons, I think he's serious value with my third pick. Yeah, he was my next pick. And let's call a spade a spade. Michael Parsons was a pain in the ass in high school. 
just <laughs> total prima donna and it drove everybody crazy and but it ended up being a happy ending if you're a Penn State fan and that's what matters and I'm thrilled Micah went went to Penn State like you said he's he's all about Penn State now so I mean he's he's been a good ambassador to the school um he's as two people who have a lot of hot takes on Twitter Micah has a lot of hot takes on Twitter um which I mean hey we welcome but he's uh He's always been an outgoing personality, but man, he was he was a pain in high school. He was committed to us, and then he decommitted. Then he was basically committed to Ohio State, but not really. And then the recruiting violation, but then it all ended up working out for him. I mean, he's always going to be the one who got away a little bit because of 2020, and he opted out. But we were we were really happy to have him for the two years we had him because he was. I mean, he was the best linebacker on the team, probably, from the moment he walked through the doors. And he didn't even start his his freshman year. So, uh, big ambassador of the school. I don't think he'd go around with that pick. And he would have been my pick. Uh, I am now going to go back in the Wayback Machine. And I'm going to pick Kajana Carter. So, you're probably wondering why Kajana Carter. Well, I mean, he was awesome. But more than that, where is Kajana Carter from? State of Ohio. And I just think him, when Penn State's getting into, uh, coming into the Big Ten, having a guy like John Carter there, I mean, if you're at head coach at the time, John Cooper, I mean, you must be like, bruh, <laughs> you really let this guy get away, and now he's tearing us up. So I'm going to go Kajana. Um, but like Corey said, I think this is where the list really gets interesting. And now I have no idea where Corey's going. Like, I had a feeling Corey was going to pick Mike in that last pick. And I have zero idea where he's going now. Yeah. There's actually a bunch of guys that could fill this role towards the end here. And I think we're going to have some decent honorable mentions now. Um, I'm going to take Saquon Barkley at four. And I don't know if he was on your list or not, but... He was. Ruck, was he officially committed to Rutgers? Yeah, but you see, the thing with him is he wouldn't have started at Rutgers. He wouldn't right. have been the, the 3D or whatever right. they say. I just wasn't sure if he was 100% <laughs> verbally committed or if he was just a he really was. strong lean. Okay. He was. So that's the first part of it, right? I mean, and I want to be clear, like that was based, that was a huge Bill O'Brien was the one that first recruited him, right? And then it was it finished off by Bill O'Brien? No, he uh, committed to Franklin. I think he committed to Franklin, but yeah. O'Brien recruited him early. Right. Um, just an, I mean, two things. Number one, he's generational, so he makes the list easy for that. Number two, how weird would it be? And would he have been the same? But I'm guessing he probably would have been really good for Rutgers. But, like, how good would he have been? And would that change anything in the big ticket? Because I always think Rutgers is a sleeping giant, right? Like, we were just talking about New Jersey earlier. Like, if you can if you can put together a couple good years at Rutgers, New Jersey's right there. Maryland's right there. 
Philadelphia is right there. Like you can amass a bunch of talent if you can put some things together. And I'm not saying Saquon Barkley getting him does all that for you, but I'm just saying like there, like there are things there that they have going for them as far as a market and potential NIL image and image likeness that you have there now. Like there are things that make that area promising. And yeah, I'm but just, that's a heavy sleeping giant. Yeah. That giant's been asleep for a long time ever since they won that first game. Yeah. All I'm trying to say is it would have been really interesting to see what would have happened in that case. And obviously it, it was very impactful for Penn State. I'm 2016 doesn't happen if it isn't for Saquon Barkley. 2017 doesn't happen. I mean, we talk about all the time, the offensive line in 2016, 2017, 2017, a little bit better, but 2016 was awful. If they didn't have Saquon Barkley, I just can't imagine how they would have been able to move the football at all. They weren't consistent at doing it even in 2016, but just how they would have, teams didn't even have to focus in on him. Like what were, what would they have done? But just incredibly impactful. And on top of all that, just a poster child for work ethic, for doing things the right way. I just don't think you could have a single person be, if you could ask one person to have the one personality to be the best player in a long time at Penn State, Saquon Barkley fits all of those things, checks all of those boxes. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It, it just It's just funny to me. I mean, the fact that this man was committed to Rutgers and, and I don't know. It just makes you think of the, uh, the, the guy who's for the Kansas city chiefs, the, the running back, uh, Pacheco. Pacheco is just about to mention him. Yep. God. Like, so he was a seventh round pick and now he's pretty much a starting running back for the Kansas city chiefs. Like I'm not saying Pacheco was Saquon Barkley just on the Rutgers, but I'm just wondering was, was, would Saquon Barkley been Pacheco or would Saquon Barkley still been Saquon Barkley? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because I was thinking when you started talking about Saquon and Rutgers, I was like, Pacheco. So we were we were thinking along the same lines there because Pacheco, I mean, you look at him now and he's kind of and I mean, there's no disrespect. He's kind of like poor man, you know, poor man's young Tyree Kill. He even wears number 10, but he does a lot of the same things Tyree did for them in the offense, uh, especially when he was younger and they'd be putting him at running back a lot. So. Yeah, I mean, I think if Pacheco goes to Penn State, yeah, he's probably a top three round pick. Now, I think Saquon still would have been really, really, really freaking good at Rutgers just because he has he's the perfect blend of athletic ability and work ethic. And you need both to be great because, you know, obviously, if you don't, you could be the most talented guy in the world. If you don't put in the work, well, you're still going to suck or (laughs) when you get, especially when you get to the pros. Uh, And in college, you're you're not going to be, you're not going to be what you could be. Um, You know, you'll probably be good enough to get by, but you're not going to be what you could be. And Saquon just blended those two things perfectly together, and he still continues to do it. I mean, it is tough to come back from as many injuries as he's had in the NFL and still be um, still be as great as he is. I mean, I was even and I'm the biggest Saquon guy in the world. I wear a Saquon hat and a lot of podcasts. I was having my doubts about Saquon going into last year 
just because he took so many hits and he's had a lot of injuries and and it, just him being an an older running back now. So I mean he's he's not old old, but he he's getting a little long in the tooth to be a running back, but just a great representative of the university, and he has been since he stepped on campus. So there aren't enough good things to say about Saquon. Um, so this is again another interesting pick I have. And I'm gonna go with Hack's teammate, Adam Brenneman. Now, Brenneman was also very highly recruited guy out of uh he was from he was from PA, uh top 50 overall recruit, and he was wanted by everybody. And it was along the same lines as Hack. Why would you go to Penn State? Cedar <laughs> and, Cliff High School, I believe. Say that again? Cedar Cliff High School. Yeah, Cedar Cliff High, High School. You're right. So, again, it was along the same lines. Like, why would you want to go to Penn State? And he stuck He stuck with it. Him, um, I mean, these guys are probably going to be honorable. Some of the other guys are probably going to be honorable mentions. I don't think they'll be on the list. But in Hack, they made the decision to go to Penn State and really roll the dice and go there. And it, you know, it, it really helped stabilize the program. Now, Brenneman, his only issue was injuries. I mean, the guy was hurt really from the day, you know, it seemed like the day he stepped on campus. But when he played, I mean, he was really good. You remember that Wisconsin game in 2013? Uh, he had that long catch um, and really... Uh, dominated the game as a freshman tight end and he was uh, we all remember how good Fryermuth was as a freshman he was even better than Fryermuth when he played so I think he he would still be playing now if the universe wasn't cruel and you know he he caught the injury bug but still just his impact as a recruit uh was pretty immeasurable so I got Brenneman fourth on my list Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I had him on my list as well. Um, we've kind of been positive for most of this. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. It's getting spicy. And I don't want this to be a, I don't know how to say, I don't want it to be a negative, right? But this is impactful for, for one way or the other. And I just think you're talking about recruits for better or worse. You got to have this guy on the list. And so for my fifth spot, I'm going with Anthony Morelli. Okay. Did he make it on your list? Well, he was somebody that I considered, but <laughs> I chose not to choose violence. So <laughs> that's good. No, and you know what? When I went back... But and I understand was, where you're coming from because at the time, he wasn't powerful. I mean, top prospect in Pennsylvania. I think 12th overall in the country. I mean, he was he was a surefire thing, right? Decommitted from Pitt, came to Penn State. Uh, Penn, I think from Penn Hills, right? So same place that uh, Dante Cephas and Daquan Hardy and Tank Smith are from. Around those parts, yeah. Let me, let me double check. Um, I just... I don't know if it was ever fair to Anthony Morelli, too, right? Like, 
playing after Michael Robinson and Daryl Clark kind of sitting there. I mean, he also, in my memory, I really only remember him for one true game. That's at Ohio State game with the back-to-back pick sixes, which is probably not fair to remember him that way. But again, you have to understand why this is such a defeating recruit for Penn State. Think about like what Derek Williams and Justin King kind of did, right? Anthony Morelli did like the entire opposite of that, like a hundred percent opposite of that. Like the light at the end of the tunnel, like Anthony Morelli was like the dead middle of the dark, gloomy tunnel. And things were looking really good. I mean, the the '05 season, like everything was positive going that direction, right? And you get this top recruit coming in, and you're like, okay, Penn State's back, baby. And it it was not. I mean, there was some really. I mean, they beat Notre Dame, but there were some really ugly games in there. And he never really got there. I think the uh, his first season he ended up with like eleven touchdowns and eight interceptions. Like that is not good if you're supposed to be this next best thing. Um, and again, with a really good receiving core. So there's really not there's really no excuses to why it was that bad. But it, it and it didn't get better the next year either. Um, and then it makes you wonder, right? Because then Daryl Clark comes in and things get better again. It just makes you wonder, like, okay, like, how could have those things been different? Or or what was the true issue? And you could point to maybe an offensive coordinator or a quarterback's coach or whatever the excuses are. I don't think it's Anthony Morelli's fault for it all being the way it was. But at the end of the day... We talk a lot about Drew Aller. And I feel like if you are a Penn State fan that remembers that time period with Anthony Morelli, I mean, it's got to be somewhat in the back of your mind, right? I mean, this is why we wanted Sean Clifford to play the games and get Drew Aller back up because you just don't know just because a recruiting site says just because he has all the intent or the, the physical traits doesn't mean he has all the intangibles. I think you, you got to have him on this list. So I'll take Anthony Morelli at five. I feel like we could talk about Anthony Morelli a bunch. Oh, we could. We could. Um, yeah, Morelli. I mean, I always think, and I think we've talked a little bit about it. Like, we've just touched on it. Like, what if the 06 and 07 teams had a better quarterback? Like, because they had one of the best receiving cores, even – to this day in Penn State history. And, I mean, they had Tony Hunt as a running back. And Tony Hunt, I mean, (laughs) very underrated guy in Penn State history. And, I mean, I'm sure we're probably going to talk about him when we rank the running backs, or at least going to talk about him. Like, he had a run game. He had the receivers. Did he have the coaching? No. I mean, let's just be real, he didn't. Uh, But I never got... He just never seemed to have an it factor. And I think having an it factor as a quarterback is important. And you just never saw it from him. And it seemed like when things would fall apart, he would kind of cause them to fall apart. And then they would just get worse from there. <laughs> so he he, uh, he was just so frustrating to watch. And did he have a couple of moments? He did. Uh, he He beat a pretty good Tennessee team in the Outback Bowl. Um, a game that we really weren't supposed to win. I'm, I mean, you might say, all right, who cares? It's the Outback Bowl. But I mean, maybe at the time, bowls are bigger. And 
were bigger deals, and he he played well that day, and he played well the year we beat Notre Dame. He played awful the year we lost to Notre Dame, but um, he did he did beat them. But you know, just a, I mean, very mediocre, and uh, very very frustrating. Like if you bring his name up at a Penn State tailgate, you just see people th- their blood still boils just hearing his name. They're like. You know, you, you could like sometimes you could compare you could talk about Clifford and you'll hear people, you know, kind of ripping on him a little bit. But then you bring up Morelli and they'll be like, oh, I mean, he's way better than Morelli. Like people don't even like that. They, I mean, even the biggest Clifford haters in the world go, oh, I mean, he's obviously better than him. And I mean, it's it's I don't know, just kind of sad the way it all played out but what are you going to do and maybe to, to in his defense maybe if he had better coaching it would have been it would have went down different so for my my last pick i'm gonna go with michael Motti. and michael Motti was pretty highly recruited guy he was a four-star prospect he was from the state of louisiana um we beat out uh oklahoma among others to get him and awesome player, better than Manti Teo, by the way. And he, as good of a player as he was, I mean, I kind of always thought that O'Brien himself might have got too much credit for saving the program. But Mahdi and Zordich really deserved the lion's share, no pun intended, of saving Penn State's program because they were just there the longest they were seniors they were guys that people looked up to for a long time and he just played with such emotion and he led so well and he was the right person at the right time to be the leader of that locker room and I mean it sucks that his senior year he didn't get to go to a bowl and and all that and it sucks that he that he got hurt in that season but you want to talk about impact I mean, they put his they put his number on their helmet the last game of the season, and the guy, I don't mean to minimize it, but he just tore his ACL. I mean, it's an injury we see every single week. It's not like his career was over, but that's how important he was to that team. Like, and if you want to talk about impact, I mean, I don't I don't know if he could get more impactful than that. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought about him, and I think Zordich actually was a higher recruited guy, like ranked wise, than than Madi. I think he may have been. Zordich was highly recruited too, really as a linebacker. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, that's our top five for each of us. I'll be interested to see what people think about this. A couple other names I had that I didn't pull the trigger on. Uh, I had Tom Bahali. I had Rob Bolden. I had Austin Scott. If you want to go, good one. yep. <laughs> if you wanted to go negative, um, Mark Ferris, offensive guard, Kevin Newsom, and to wrap it up, Justin Shorter. <laughs> I really yeah. think Justin Shorter would have been a good one just because of where we're at right now, right, and what. What it could have maybe meant for Penn State to have a like a a five star come through at the wide receiver position, right? So, yeah, know. yeah. I mean, I had some of those names uh, shorter. I mean, 
God, he's a what could have been guy. But I mean, he's a I, we I maybe one of the reasons why I don't like going and recruiting so much is because Justin Shorter was a guy I followed so much, right? Like I was watching every one of his highlights from every one of his camps and him like him beating everybody one-on-one right without pads on and you're just like you salivate and what and maybe i i really don't like the camps where they don't have pads on and i don't watch any of those things very much anymore especially the defensive line and offensive line drills i'm like i don't care if you push somebody over without pads on like that that really doesn't mean very much to me in in a grand scheme of things but yeah, I think Justin Shorter is a guy that, yeah, he. this wasn't necessarily a what-if thing, but for him, it, it definitely was. <laughs> yeah, and, like, Shorter, similar to Morelli, like, when you saw him, there was just no eye of the tiger with him. There was no edge. He was just big and fast, but there was no it there. There was just, he was just kind of there. He was just, and I don't know. It was like he just didn't have the confidence or something. I don't know. But best of luck to him. I think he's I think he's going to be drafted this year. I think he's that during the draft. So we do hope we do hope for the best for him. Um I also had Devon Still. Uh he was a pretty highly recruited guy. Fun fact, the last person that Joe Paterno actually visited. So uh the last person he did an in-house visit with. Uh, Shane Simmons, somebody who was James Franklin's first five-star recruit, and at the time, that's a pre- good one. Yeah, and I, I, and I don't mean it as a negative either. I think Shane was just unlucky. It's, it's similar to Brenneman. I think he, I mean, was he quite a five-star guy? No, when he played, no. But I think if he didn't get injured so much, he would have been a lot better. Uh, Miles Sanders was another guy on the list, I, and I think that because. They were Franklin's first really big recruits that he pulled in. Uh, Jared Odrick, that's another guy. That was a big battle back in the mid-2000s. Um, I remember message boards freaking out because he was wearing a Georgia sweatshirt. And, I mean, you know, just silly season. Like, yeah, he was at Georgia, and he, he probably got a sweatshirt from there. I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world, but, you know, message boards. Um yeah, uh, I actually had Rob Bolden <laughs> because at the time, Penn State landed in the same year, Rob Bolden and Paul Jones. So those were two top 15 quarterback recruits. And why they wanted to play for Jay Paterno, I don't know, but they did. And they, unfortunately, it didn't end well for either of them. <laughs> um, but Rob Bolden still goes to games, so he's still pretty much a proud Penn Stater. Uh, so that was, I also want to give a shout out to my Scranton guy. It didn't really work out for him. And I don't mean this as an insult at all, but it was a pretty big deal at the time. Eric Shrive just didn't materialize at Penn State. Um, but at the time it was a big deal because Notre Dame really wanted him. And all the Notre Dame fans at school were all sad when he committed to Penn State. So that's a personal favorite of mine. Awesome. Well, there you have it, everybody. Yeah, I, that worked out better than I thought, to be honest with you. I didn't know how we were going to go through that or what it was going to look like. There was some, when we came with that idea, there was some that were like off the top of my head, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it was like, okay, now what? So, yeah, I think we could have given, you know, six, seven, you know, people on that list and still been okay. So, um, yeah, we generally were thinking along the same lines. Yeah. 
I think so too. So I guess we can do two things for next week, Sean. We can do go back to offense, or we can do like a a like a team one. So like top five bowl wins or top five upsets or top five awful losses or top five season openers. How about that one? Let's do that. Season openers? Can we do that? Do you think we could come up with with 10 good season openers? We're going to have to dig so. back in the archives a little bit, but yeah, we could do it. Let's do that. Right. Season openers. That, that, again, doesn't have to necessarily be wins for Penn State. Yeah, let's do it up. That would be fun. Yeah, like I said, I think we might have to dig back a little bit because there's going to be a lot of Akron's and a lot of Kent State's and Hey, maybe, maybe some of you think one of those acting games should be in the top ten, but I don't know if we'll have. Uh, first game, Drew Aller stepped onto the field, number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's obviously the best one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I'm, I'm all out of stuff if you're out of stuff. I am. All right, well, uh, we will see you back next week. Until then, you guys take care. We appreciate you guys. And um, you've been uh, listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. So for, for Sean Kane, I'm Corey Stokey. We will catch you guys next time. Thank you.